Has anybody ever been in, you experienced something really fantastic, like a great vacation or, or a great Christmas, and then you get home and you go back to work and you're slammed with reality, like a huge, le- I mean, it's like you, the second you walk in, there's a huge problem. Anybody ever had that happen? Every day, every day, I tell you what, I tell you, there was a time I had planned a uh, mission trip to Seattle, and we went up there, we took 50-some-odd people, and uh, we went to help this church plant. They had just planted a church, and they were about to have their first meetings, and every night they were going to be doing these block parties all over the city, uh, and uh, this backyard Bible, it wasn't really backyard Bible clubs because it was huge, I mean, it was like 300 kids at a school. Uh, so it was like a VBS, basically, uh, with a bunch of music and sports incorporated into it in the mornings. And we'd do the, uh, the uh, block parties at night, all sharing Christ in all those moments and talking about this new church plant to try to get people to come to this deal and, and learn more about Jesus. And so we went up there to Seattle, and it was an incredible week. And we were there for eight, nine, eight days, I think, and um, every day. I mean, it's exhausting, but still, it's, it's exciting tell, telling people about Jesus. Being in a completely, I mean, if you've never been to Seattle, Seattle is very different than Dequeen, Arkansas. <laughs> Incredibly different. Um, and uh, we, we had this great experience. We would talk about all that God did in, at night and then pray together and worship and go to bed and get up the next day and do it again. And then we, would, uh, we went to the airport and jumped on a plane and came home. And if you've never known uh, um, anxiety, try getting 50 high schoolers through the Seattle airport and back home. It is. Uh, um, I, a bunch of us, I... And if you ever fly with me, I get stopped at security every time, so just get ready for it. Yeah, there we go. Uh, so we got st- I got stopped at security and several of the kids and everybody else in Seattle Airport spread out all over the place. You have to get on trams to go to this terminal, get on another tram to go to that terminal. And I'm stuck uh, as the leader of the group at security, and I'm just telling them, I'm shouting down the airport, you got to go here and get on this thing and go to that thing. And and they're running. I mean, they're teenagers doing their thing. And I'm thinking, Jesus, just let them get to the plane, please, and not let their mommies call me because they didn't get home. So we had this fantastic week, and uh, we get home, and uh, uh, I get picked up at the airport. My wife and, and I can't remember how many kids we had at, the, at that time. We had a bunch of kids. We got them now. But they were staying with her parents, and they came and picked me up, and we drove to our house. And we get, get in the garage and get in the house, and the house is hot. Now, Seattle in the summer is not hot. It's like 60, 70 degrees. You know, it's like, it, it, depending on who you are, it might be jacket weather. Uh, and we get home, and it was in Dallas at the time, which outside it was like 109. And we walk in the house, it's like 125. And I'm thinking, this is not good. And I'm exhausted. And we get in, and we walk out. And sure enough, the HVAC is busted. And so I start calling everybody I know. Katie took the kids back over to her parents' house. And I'm calling everybody I know. Said, can you get somebody here right now to fix this? Because all I want to do after these eight, nine days is just sleep in my bed. And I'm thinking about how many fans I have. If I can just get as many fans as I need, I can at least be in my house. I just want to be home in my bed. And uh, they, the guy, they finally 
a, a, a friend of mine knew a guy, and he called that guy and says, you owe me a favor. Go to that. So the, the AC guy came to my house and said, yeah, it's busted. And I said, I know it is. And he said, I can't fix it today. And I said, okay, give me a number for somebody else. <laughs> uh, he said, no, but I can come back tomorrow and, and, and work on it tomorrow because I need to order something and get this other deal and get the right tool for this thing. Um, I said, okay, fine. And so I called Katie and told her, and uh, she, speaking the voice of wisdom in my exhausted, heat-soaked brain, said, you need to come and, and we'll just stay at my parents' house tonight. I said, no, I want to stay at my house tonight. Uh, and she said, no, that's not smart. You will, you know, sweat to death. And so I went back over there, stayed the night, and came back the next day, and they fixed it, and we got in. But we had this great mountaintop spiritual experience, and then to come home and really be let down when you just wanted to relax is, is what we faced. And what we're going to see today in Scripture is that very thing. Because I don't know if you, didn't, if you knew this or not, but the people in Scripture are just like us. They face stuff just like we do. You know, they may have great moments of great faith, and we saw that last week with Abraham, but they didn't live that way every single day. They had struggles. They had problems. We're just seeing a highlight, a glimpse of their lives. We're not seeing the ins and outs of everything. So if you have a Bible there, turn in your Bible uh, to Matthew chapter 17. It's on page 822 if you want to use a Bible on the pew rack there. Matthew 17, you see the disciples have been with Jesus now day in and day out for a while. We don't really know how long at this point. I mean... Uh, a little while, a year and a half-ish, maybe a year, uh, maybe two years. And uh, so they've been with Jesus. I mean, they, they talk about encouraging, right? I mean, physically with Jesus every day, cooking food with Jesus every day, being with Jesus in that way. And uh, they're seeing these amazing things. Jesus at one point gives them the authority to go out and, and do some miracles and, and cast out demons and heal people and, and tell people about him and his message. And they went out and did all this stuff, and they, they're seeing the work of Jesus. They're seeing the 5,000 fed. They're seeing Lazarus raised from the dead. And so Jesus is observing their faith and observing their exercise of their faith. And so then Jesus takes three of his disciples, uh, Peter, James, and John, and he leaves the other nine uh, down in this little valley area. And he says, if people come to you and they need help, you guys take care of it. Because you've been out there doing it. You've been going town to town, healing people. You've been going town to town, baptizing people. It's no big deal. You got this. Jesus leaves them there at the bottom of the hill, and he goes up on the top of the hill with three guys, and they see what's called the transfiguration, big old word. And what that means is Jesus revealed a glimpse of his divine glory to them. And it said uh, Moses and Elijah showed up, and they were talking, Jesus and Moses and Elijah and then you got Peter, James, and John standing off on the side, and they're kind of having a cow. I mean, they're freaking out a little bit. It's, it's Jesus, and the glory's there. But then there's, there's, there's Moses and Elijah that they've heard about all their lives, you know, and, and they're just amazed. And Peter said, let's just build houses and live here for all eternity. And uh, God speaks. God's glory descends, it says, on the mountain in a cloud. And they hear God's voice reverberating from the cloud. Now, Try to picture that for a second, all right? This is fog, and when you're in the middle of fog, it's everywhere. And the Scripture says the voice comes from the fog. So the voice is coming from everywhere. It's in them. And the voice speaks about 
following Jesus, listening to Jesus. And the fog lifts, and they look up, and all they, it says all they see is Jesus. Now, how would that? Now that's a sermon in itself. <laughs> they look up, and all they see is Jesus. How, what do you see when you look up, when you wake up in the morning? Well, they looked up, and all they saw was Jesus. And they had this great spiritual experience, this great phenomenal moment after having day in and day out of phenomenal moments. And they come down the mountain, and they're confronted with a situation. Matthew chapter 17, verse 14. There was a crowd there. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. Now look at that for a second. Micah, jump back to verse 15. It says, he suffers terribly. Suffers. Te- so, again, you got to picture the situation. You got the nine disciples there who, who have been in an amazing spiritual experience for, for months with Jesus, confronted with a situation they can't handle. Jesus comes down the mountain with, with three of his disciples, and, and those three disciples are lumped in with the other nine disciples because the situation cannot be handled by any of them, even though they just had that great experience on top of the mountain. And the father is there in the middle of this crowd, and the disciples aren't taking care of his issues, so he just cuts the line and makes a beeline straight for Jesus and says, Jesus, I've got a problem. So he did, first of all, he did the right thing, and he came to Jesus. Who knows how many other things he would have done before this, or maybe this is the first thing that that they have actually done. And he brings his son to Jesus, and he says he suffers terribly. Anybody ever been suffering terribly? He suffers terribly. In the midst of these seizures he has there in verse 15, it says the son, he falls into the fire. He falls into the water. Now, that's quite possible the way houses were built back then is sometimes there was they were built around a courtyard and they would have had a fire in the house to warm the house they would have had a well out in the courtyard to get their water and so he in the household stuff he just falls in while he's undergoing this there's a bigger issue here that we're going to see in a minute he's being uh, uh the suffering terribly is because of a demon that's coming after him and jesus knows this but the father says, we've got to have fire in the house because we've got to stay warm. We've got to have water because we've got to live. And, and the stuff that we just need to live, he's uh, falling into to, to die. And so he brings the son to Jesus. And he says there in verse 16, I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. Now what I want you to hear there is remember what I said a minute ago. Jesus has already given these guys authority to heal people and to cast out demons, which both of those is the problem here. The son needs to be healed, and he needs a demon cast out. And they've already got the authority to do that, and now the father is telling Jesus, they can't do it. I brought him to the disciples because they're supposed to be able to do this stuff. He says, I heard all the stories about them going from town to town. They healed my neighbor, but they can't heal my son. They can't do it for me. I need help here. So Jesus, have mercy on my son. Now, Jesus' response here is interesting, and we're going to dig into it a little bit, uh, because Jesus initially doesn't respond to the man. He responds to the guys who are supposed to be helping the man. Look at verse 
17. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? And he turns to the man, bring him here to me. It sounds kind of harsh, right? O faithless and twisted generation, how long do I have to put up with you people? But a lot of times, maybe you don't do this, maybe you're more spiritual, but a lot of times when I read Scripture, I try to filter it through, or not try to, but I end up filtering it through how I read what he's saying, through my emotion in the moment, that if I were Jesus, I'd be really frustrated with what's going on here. You people are a bunch of dummies. All you got to do is follow me, and, and everything's fine. Just pay attention to what I'm saying. It's like he's talking to his kids. Just pay attention. It says, oh, faithless and twisted generation. Now, the word twisted is interesting. I looked this word up. I got the definition here for you on the screen. That word twisted. To be diverted away from faith by distraction. To be diverted away from faith by distraction. That's what it means here in this context. To be diverted away from faith by distraction. And what we're going to see in a minute is, is the faith that Jesus is going to be talking about in this whole passage is the faith of the disciples. And so when he calls them a, 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 a faithless and twisted generation, he's talking about the faith of the disciples. And so they have been diverted away from their faith by some sort of distraction. Somewhere between when he gave them the authority to cast out the demons and to heal the sick, their faith wavered. Something distracted them away from faith. Maybe they got hung up on the fact that it was, I can heal people. I can, I can, I can, I, I can heal people. I don't know if I've told you the story. There's a pastor uh, one time. Uh, he was telling this story in, in one of his sermons that when he was a young pastor, first year of being a, a pastor, he was an associate pastor, and uh, they were, he, he was a pastor at a Methodist church at this time. And somebody came forward for prayer and, and wanted to be anointed with oil during the prayer. And he'd never done that before. Uh, and he says, okay, yeah, I'll pray for you. And I, I know there's some oil in the pastor's office. So he's an associate pastor. So he ran, during the service, ran to the pastor's office real quick, saw several little jars on his shelf with oil. So he grabbed one and ran back in there. And, and he put it on his finger, and he was going to make a cross on her head, he said, because that's holy. And so he, he put some oil there, and he put the cross on her forehead, and he started praying. She goes, ooh, it burns. And he's thinking, oh, I've got the power. I've got the power. And he feels the, all this you know, surging in him. Well, it turns out he grabbed the wrong bottle of oil, and it was like cinnamon or something, and she was allergic. Uh, next time he saw her, she had this big old red cross on her forehead. But uh, he, he, in the moment, said, it's, you know, he's like, I have it. It's like, it's me. I've got it. He got distracted by, you know, instead of God working through him, it's because he grabbed the wrong bottle on the shelf and caused her a problem for a few days. Um, and so quite possibly, maybe the disciples got hung up on the fact that they were the ones doing the healing. I can heal people. It's cool. I, I healed that. I, I, the guy that I healed was, had more problem than the guy you healed you know, Judas, you know, I can do more than you can do. And, and whatever it was, they get down here and they have been distracted and now they're distracted away from their faith, diverted away from their faith. And uh, he says there, how long am I to be with you? Now, how long am I to bear with you? Literally, that means how long am I to endure? How long am I to endure you? To me, it seems as though the way it's described in the definition there, it's as though he's saying, I can't even go up on the mountain 
for a couple hours without you guys being supervised. I feel that way, you know, if you're a parent, you feel that way sometimes. I can't even go to the bathroom without you guys wanting to cut each other's heads off. I can't, I can't even do anything. And so Jesus, how long have I got to bear with your faithlessness? He's, we just, you know, fed 5,000. We just raised Lazarus from the dead. You guys have healed people yourself because of your faith. And you can't, how, how long? Now, this isn't a tone of exasperation. This really isn't even a tone of frustration. He's saying this to re or get the disciples to come back to where they need to be. He's trying to get their attention with this. He says, guys, you've, you've got to come back. Because Jesus knows very shortly he's going to be arrested and he's going to be crucified and he's going to raise from the dead and then he's going to leave. Holy Spirit's going to come and guide him. And he's trying to get them to understand you've got to listen to the Spirit's instruction. His voice is going to sound a lot like mine. That's what Jesus would say to him. You've got to pay attention here. Listen here. Have a, have a faithful heart here. And the thing about a faithful heart is that faithless activity and, and decisions cannot exist in a faithful heart. If you have a faithful heart, then faithless decisions, like he called them there, a faithless generation, a, a faithless decisions will not exist. But you have to have a faithful heart. Your heart has to be driven towards faith, has to be pursuing faith. And again, I, I can't see into your brains, but I know in my brain, a lot of times I depend upon my own experience to determine my next decision. Or I, I depend upon my own cleverness and my own re, what I consider to be reasonable to make my next decision a lot of times more than I do on faith and listening to the voice of God. Am I alone in that? Is that just me? No, thank you. Me and Eric. Everybody else. It's just me and Eric. He says he's trying to get them back to where they need to be. You see, Jesus' plan, and again, he knew what was going to happen because he's Jesus, but his plan in leaving them at the bottom of the hill was so they could help heal the crowd. So they could help heal the crowd. His, his, plan, uh, his plans for his followers are to live, act, and decide in faith, always and everywhere. Jesus' plans for you are to live, act, and decide in faith. Always and everywhere. Does that mean you're always going to do it? No. We're human. We're on this side of heaven. But that's his plan for us. That should be our pursuit is living in faith, walking in faith. His plan was not for uh, uh, the disciples to be unable to heal that guy's son. His plan was for the guys to be able to heal him and point the man to Jesus. We heal your son in the name of Jesus, who he's coming right now. You can praise him as we're healing. But they couldn't do it. Something barred them from doing. Something prevented them from doing this. And so Jesus says this to them, and then he tells the father, okay, bring your son to me. Look at verse 18. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Now, I love that. Instantly. You know, the, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, oftentimes tell similar stories from Jesus' ministry in different lights. And a lot of times words like instantly or suddenly are, are key to Mark. He does that a lot because he, he, he likes to get to the action. But we have Matthew doing it here. 
because Matthew was there. He was one of the 12 disciples who could not heal the boy. And so he's telling this from his, from his own remembering because he was there when it happened. And so it says he healed the boy, and the boy was healed instantly. Instantly the boy was healed. No more problems, no more issues. Everybody's celebrating, everybody's praising. And then verse 19. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And so Jesus gives them this illustration. You guys have little faith. I tell you guys, if you have even the faith of a seed of a mustard grain, uh, or a, a grain of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, he's, he points to the mountain, this mountain we just came down off of, this mountain I was just transfigured on. You could say to this mountain, move from here to over there, and it would move. Now, he's not necessarily saying you can walk outside and tell a hill to move, and we're on a hill right here in town. He can do it for sure, but he's trying to give them an understanding of how much can be done when your faith lines up with the will of God. He says, guys, if you would have had faith, you could have healed that boy. If you would have had faith, this wouldn't have been a problem. If you would have had faith, I wouldn't have had to, to set, call you faithless and twisted and, and try to realign where your life is headed. If only you would have had, he says, little faith, small faith. Now he says, look at that again. He says, you guys had little faith. But then he says, if you would have had faith like the grain of a mustard seed. That sounds pretty little to me. Does that sound little to you guys? Sound little to you? That's little. Right, Mike? That's little. So their faith must have been pretty little. But we're going to take a different perspective of, of what he's talking about when he's talking about faith. You see, their faith was little, limited. It was broken when what they really needed was a seed faith. A seed faith, a seed that was planted that would grow throughout their entire lives. A seed faith. The impossible does not occur because of the amount of faith, but because of the power of God flowing through his will. And his will can only be known and accessed by us when we know his voice, when we hear from him. And we hear from him in two ways, scripture and prayer. Other people can speak, and we can, say, and we can say, God, was that you speaking? He'll say, yes, or he'll say, no, absolutely not. You did not listen to that person at all. Uh, but we know his voice through Scripture and prayer, through Scripture and prayer. Sometimes we'll take Scripture on our, our Bible reading plan, or we'll pop open our Bible to the first verse that comes to us, and, and we'll read one little deal, and we'll feel good about ourselves for the rest of the day, and never apply it, never ingest it, never allow it to, to come into us and change us. But Scripture and prayer is how we hear God's voice. And I'll tell you something we're going to do. Remember I said last week, quoted from Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If scripture and prayer is how we hear the voice of the Lord. We're going to be doing that this week, all right, live, online. We'll leave it up for on demand for anybody who wants to. Every day this week at 9 a.m., we're going to do both. We're going to pray Scripture. Starting tomorrow morning, we're going to pray the Psalms every day. 9 a.m. You can watch it live. You can watch it on demand. It'll be there. It'll be on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, it, 
the technology works. <laughs> we had more problems today, but it's working now. Uh, maybe. It was working after I walked in here. Um, we're going to be doing it every day, praying scripture, praying the Psalms every day at 9 a.m. this week. Because that's how we hear God's will. And how we hear God's will, that, that, that brings us more faith because then we can step into God's will and see God move and step into more faith and see God move as we step into his will because we have faith in what God is going to do. We need to have faith in God. Trust in God. Have this, as, as Jesus says there in verse uh, 20, seed faith. Now, we're gonna, let's dive into those words. Because... If seed faith, which seems pretty small to me, if seed faith can move mountains, then it would seem that the amount, at least as we typically understand the amount, then is not the issue. Because if a seed, a small, tiny, infinitesimal, maybe, uh, the small amount can move a mountain, how much can big faith? Well, I began to pray about this, and my thought is, maybe he's not talking amount. Maybe he's not talking like, like we would think uh, strength of faith. The stronger someone is, the more they can accomplish. Like in your physical strength, the stronger you are, the more you can accomplish. You know, I may be able uh, uh, to, to, in my strength, lift this table, but Jose could come up here and he could lift this whole stage piece. You know, it's a different level of strength. What if faith doesn't operate like that? Because if a tiny amount of faith can move an entire mountain, I've never moved a mountain with my faith. I mean, I've never literally had a mountain move because of my faith. I've seen God do some great things. I've seen God heal people instantaneously in hospital rooms while we were praying. I've seen cancer disappear. I've seen little babies that were supposed to be dead in two hours now be 15. God can do great things. And he's, but what if the faith he's talking about, the, the amount of faith isn't like strength, isn't like if I can just get some more, get some more, then everything will change, and I can accomplish more. What if faith is not like strength in that sense? Rather, what if faith is like a light switch in that it's on or off providing power through a bulb, through a vessel of any capacity? And what then needs to change then is the amount of wattage of the vessel, of me. Because if it's an off-on switch... Maybe it's not that I need to get more faith in my life. Maybe it's that I need to put faith in more parts of my life. Maybe I need to turn on faith in my finances. Maybe I need to turn on faith in my relationship with my spouse. Maybe I need to turn on faith in my job. Maybe I need to turn on faith when I pump the gas and that guy's next to me and he's talking to me and I'm thinking, I wish he wouldn't talk to me. But God's saying in that moment you need faith and tell that guy about Jesus. Maybe I need to turn on faith more in more parts of my life. Maybe that's what more faith is. Maybe small faith, little faith is just having faith enough to walk into church and pop open your Bible or click on that link on the website and look, watch this online. Maybe that's small faith because we're just letting faith into one tiny aspect of our lives and not into more. Maybe faith has to do with the amount of wattage we're allowing him to shine through. 
And if we, we've got power running to this thing, this lamp, this lamp is on. So not going to do that. This lamp is on, and so if I screw a bulb in here, it's going to light up. I'm glad it did. I didn't test it on the stage. I tested it in the other room. It's going to light. It's, it, it, it's, don't look right. It's, it's kind of bright, but it's not really bright. There, it's, it, there, it's got a little bit of wattage. This is it's an Edison bulb. It's got a little bit of wattage, not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. It's got a little bit. But if I take that and grow in Christ and allow my faith to grow with me, allow the capacity in me to grow, then maybe I would shine a little brighter. The power doesn't change. Power's the same. Power's still flowing. But maybe what changes is my capacity, is the amount of faith I have. Don't look at that. That's really bright. That's a lot of light coming from a little bitty source. I know some of you are closing your eyes. Let me cover it up for you. I had a lampshade, but I took it off to really illustrate the point. I know I'm messing up the cameras, you know, the white balance and the, and the, the gain on the cameras, but it's there. Um, maybe what Jesus is talking about here with little faith and seed faith is a capacity issue with me. And not so much, I don't have enough faith. Maybe it's just I'm not allowing faith into enough places in my life. Because really, if you think about it, let's, let's go ahead and do that. Take that out. That bulb's a lot, not nearly as hot as that other one. <laughs> if I'm allowing faith into more areas of my life, then I begin to change because I'm allowing Jesus to change me, the power that's flowing through me to change me. And then I have more faith. If I say I am faithful in my life, and, and what I think of that in my brain is uh, two times a week I'll read my Bible, One, you know, two times a month I'll go to church or, or watch online, then that's all the, the faith I'm allowing into me. But I'm not stepping in faith in my finances. But I'm not stepping in faith in my career. But I'm not stepping in faith when it comes to my relationships. I'm not talking about Jesus with those around me. Maybe all the faith I'm allowing in me is the bare minimum. Then do I have great faith? Do I even have seed faith? Or do I end up having the little faith that Jesus is talking about to his disciples? That's not where he wants us to reside. He wants us to grow in faith, meaning he wants us to turn on the faith switch in more areas of our lives so that we will become faithful, so that we will change who we are and those around us. I mean, if you see, when Joshua said that thing about, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, and the whole nation served God until Joshua died. And the second, and the guys that were around Joshua who were following the Lord, and they died, it said everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone stopped following God because they were not built. Their faith was not, was not turned on in them. They were following the faith of somebody else. We've got to turn on the faith in us that God has, has given us the opportunity to access the power in all avenues of our life. All avenues of our life, even the uncomfortable places. He has given us the opportunity to turn on faith in those places to see him do phenomenal things. Oh, let me change that. 
No. Not to see him do phenomenal things. To be intimately involved in him doing phenomenal things. Intimately involved in him doing phenomenal things. Now, I mentioned a minute ago, being in the room and seeing people healed in the moment of God doing crazy things. That I haven't seen that every single time I've gone to the hospital and prayed for somebody. I, not every time. I've seen it. I've seen it happen. It's, it's amazing. It, it imprinted itself in my heart. I've seen a guy cast a demon out of somebody in a marketplace in Mexico. I saw it. The lady following us through the town, beating her head and screaming things at us. And this guy walked over to her, spoke with her for half a second, prayed, and then she was normal. Does that stuff happen all the time? Do I see it? Yes. Do I see it all the time? No. Because let's be frank, let's be transparent. It's just us here today, right? It's just us. I don't always have that faith switch turned on in my eyeballs. I don't. I don't always have it turned on in my eyeballs. When my kids are running around the house screaming, and I'm thinking, why did we put, why didn't we put more carpet in this house to suck in more of the sound? Am I thinking, am I turning the faith on in my ears or in my eyes thinking, well, they, I just need to help direct them towards Jesus in this moment. No, I'm thinking I need to buy another set of noise-canceling headphones. That's what I need to do. <laughs> A lot of times I don't have my face switch turned on in all avenues of my life. I'm just being honest with you. Some of you may be thinking, well, you're the pastor and we're going to get you fired because you need to be. I'm a human being. I don't always have it turned on. But what he's trying to get his disciples to understand, and us as his disciples in modern-day America to understand, is he wants our faith switch turned on in all parts of our life. That's hard, guys. That's, some places are easy. It's easy to come in and sit in green pews and turn on our faith switch when we sing songs. Run to the Father. I'm turning my faith switch on. And then we run out of here, and we turn it off, and we go and we watch a news channel that, that, that destroys our mood for the rest of the day. I heard a preacher two weeks ago said, here, here, here's an encouragement challenge. Don't watch the news for seven days and just watch what happens. <laughs> Our faith capacity needs to grow because well, what ends up happening is, is when we genuinely begin to introduce faith, the faith switch turned on in our lives, is that faith changes our capacity. Faith changes our wattage, and we begin to shine brighter in a way, honestly, we didn't think possible. We may be shining like this bulb, and we've been shining like this bulb for decades. And we think, that's the only way it is. That's just the way it is. And then Jesus comes along, and he begins to introduce new concepts and new ideas into us that we think are new but have been in his word for 2,000 years. And he's saying, no, it's there. You can shine at a different level. At a whole nother level. This, isn't, this is only the brightest bulb Walmart has here in DeQueen. You can get them brighter than this. You can get them way brighter than this. I was going to bring out our spotlight here, but I think our spotlight's older than DeQueen, and so this bulb definitely shines brighter than that one. Um, we can shine brighter for Jesus if we allow faith in us to change our capacity. I need more wattage in my life. And, and, and the greater your faith, the greater your capacity to have Jesus shine through you. The greater your faith, the greater your capacity to have the Spirit shine through you. 
As your faith increases your capacity, as you turn your faith on in more areas of your life, the more lives you will touch and point to Jesus as you introduce faith into more avenues of who you are. It will change you. The idea, I don't have it up here, but it's as though faith is pumping through our veins and we tie a, um, like a bungee cord around our forearm and just keep faith in our hand and don't allow it to pump into the rest of us. Eventually, it's going to kill our hand. We've got to untie it and allow it to flow through us. Allow it to pump through us. Allow the faith to change every avenue of who we are, every aspect of our character. The disciples, they had been given the authority to heal that boy, but their faith did not allow them to because they lacked the faith to use the authority. They lacked the faith that Jesus had handed them. They lacked the faith to use the authority they've been given. But that's the thing is that nothing Jesus has given authority to do, nothing that Jesus has given the authority to do is impossible for those who are empowered by faith. If you've been empowered by faith, nothing Jesus has given you the authority to accomplish is impossible. It's all within your grasp. It's all within our grasp if we step up and do it. Now, I'm going to grab my phone down here because I didn't have room on the slides to put this up. But like I said earlier, if you go to our website, you look at the notes from today's message, I've got a bunch of scriptures listed there. I'm just, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to our website. Right there, go to our website. Let's scroll down. This is a sermon page. Where is it? There it is. I've got a bunch of scriptures listed of things that God's given the authority of his believers to do. I don't have them all. I've only scratched the surface. The surface. I got a truckload there, but I don't have them all. And remember, the, the authority that Jesus has given to his people, we can do the impossible when we are empowered by faith. So here's some of them. I'm not going to, I'll go moderately slow, but not terribly slow, but you can find them all just right there listed on our website. You see, Scripture outlines some of the authority for the faith-filled. The first one right off, this is James 4.7. We've been given the authority to have victory over the enemy. Victory over the enemy. We've been given the authority to be overcomers, 1 John 4.4. 4. We've been given the authority for abundant life, John 10.10. 10. We've been given the authority for a, a, a destroyer of strongholds, 2 Corinthians 10.4. We've been given the authority to be anti-God argument and opinions, uh, opinion destroyers, 2 Corinthians 10.5. We've been given the authority to, t- to take every thought captive, 2 Corinthians 10.5. We've been, not this one, we've been given the authority to be devil thwarters. Devil thwarters, that's Ephesians 4.27, devil thwarters. In whatever schemes or plans he's got for your life, for your kid's life, for your neighbor's life, for our church, we've been given the authority to be devil thwarters. We've been given the authority in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, to be victors over the schemes of the devil. 
We've been given the authority, both of these are Acts 1-8, to be power receivers and gospel proclaimers. We've been given the authority of freedom from the power of sin, Revelation 1-5. We've been given the authority to do greater miracles than Jesus, John 14-12. We've been given the authority to crush Satan with our power, Romans 16-20. We've been given the authority for deliverance from the domain of darkness, Colossians 1.13. We've been given the authority as citizens in Jesus' kingdom. Colossians 1.13. Uh, we've been given the authority of power, love, and self-control. 2 Timothy 1.7. We've been given the authority of a child of God, of a disciple maker. We've been given the authority to be more than conquerors, to be mountain movers, and to have eternal life. That's just the beginning, and that's like 25 things. We've been given the authority by God to do those things, to have those things, to claim those things as a part of who we are, as our titles. You need to go change your resume and add those 25 things to your resume because you've been given the authority to do them all. Not to shrink back and say, well, I don't have the faith to do that. Well, he's given it to you. Turn it on. Turn it on. I wanted to call this sermon turned on, but I changed. I, I thought better of it. Let's just be real. We're just being transient. We're just us in the room. Scriptures outline these areas. And it's just, it's just I, I spent a couple hours just finding, the, there's a lot more in there. There's a lot more of what God's given you the authority to do. He's given you the authority, victory over the enemy, mountain mover, eternal life haver, crusher of the enemy's plans, follower of Jesus follower of Jesus. You have that authority. Are we exercising it? Are we turning it on? I read that, what, what Jesus did with these disciples, and I think, how would I have acted in that moment? Realistically, I would have been one of the guys, you know, trying to reenact the exact movements and words and intonation in my voice that I did when I healed that guy last time, and it's not working this time. I must have moved this way just a little bit, like it was rabbit ears on an ancient TV, right? And just move it just a little bit to try to tune in to God's power, but that's not the way God works. God works through faith of a willing people. Let's be faith-filled followers of Jesus with the authority he's given us and experience him do some incredible things. And you can experience that today. It doesn't take great faith as we define it or as we have always defined it to experience the impossible. It just takes a little bit of faith. The seed of faith planted in the hearts of God's people. Will you believe today? Where, are, where is an area in your life that you need to turn the faith on? Or as a preacher I heard this week say, turn off the dark by turning on the light. Turn it on. Turn on the faith in that area that right now some of you are arguing in your minds, well, I'm not going to give faith to that. I know I need to give faith in that area, but I really don't because it's really uncomfortable. And I've been working and trying to do this under my own strength, and I've been straining for years, and God's saying, you need to turn faith on there, and you're going to find freedom. It's going to be hard, but you're going to find freedom. Turn it on and watch everything change. 
Watch everything. Maybe you're in this room or you're watching online and you need to find faith for the very first time today. Today. I want to believe in Jesus and know that faith today. Then believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died so all your sins would be forgiven, and then he rose from the dead so that you can live after you die. You do that, and you have eternal life. Then nothing you do tomorrow can undo what Jesus already did. Your faith brought you eternal life because Jesus died. If we could lose what Jesus has given us, then we're stronger than Jesus. I'm not. He gave it to us for all time. Will you believe today? Maybe you already believe and you do need to turn on your faith in an area of your life that if we were honest with ourselves has not had a whole lot of faith in it. And it's time to turn it on. It's time to turn it on. It's time to step up and and change the queen and severe county so that chart that the governor shows every day with the amount of you know people getting the virus we would begin to see a chart of the amount of people getting saved because his people are stepping out in faith and that number would begin to grow higher than the number of people getting the virus will we step in faith turn on the faith today